0: Turn to Num- Numbers, Numbers chapter 8 again. Numbers chapter 8, in the first part of the chapter we've looked at this morning, verses 1 through 4. This afternoon, we want to just look uh, briefly here at verses 5 through 16. And. In the first part of the chapter, we've looked at the significance of the candlestick. And I might also point out that this chapter begins with the words, And the Lord spake unto Moses. God's word came to Moses with instructions to his people, and in particular for Aaron, who was in a sense the spiritual leader of of Israel. And again, I believe that God is interested in details. Uh, He's interested in obedience. We notice in verse 3 it says, And Aaron did so. I think those are significant words. Speaks to me of obedience. Today God is still interested in details and He expects us to listen and obey His word. Now you notice how this happens. God speaks to Moses. Moses speaks exactly what God had spoken to him and to Aaron. And then Aaron does what God spoke to Moses and told Moses to speak to Aaron. And this is the perfect picture of what a preacher is called to do. To convey God's word without adjustment to his people. Uh, Not to do what God has called someone else to do. Not to change what God has said but to deliver the Word of God to His people so that His people can do what God has told them to do. And so we have a perfect picture of Moses here, the preacher. It's interesting that Moses here is told by the Lord to tell something to Aaron that Moses himself would not be allowed to do. The thing that Aaron is to do is something that is unique to Aaron's own responsibility. Aaron alone has this responsibility of fulfilling these tasks. And Moses delivers the word of the Lord, and it's Aaron's responsibility to fulfill this particular word of the Lord. And so we're seeing here a beautiful picture of the preacher declaring God's word to the people, and that's what the minister of the gospel is called to do, to declare God's word, God's message to his people. And all around us, we see preachers that view their task as something else. Sometimes they view their task as to offer some political commentary on the times. I read a story where someone went to a funeral of a young child. A young child had died, and the funeral message by the clergyman, that's what I'm going to call him because he certainly wasn't a preacher, He made a railing attack on the local city water authority for failing to provide clean water, which had eventually uh, eventuated in this child's taking in some sort of bacteria and dying. And so the funeral message was an assault upon the city water authority. And the comment by the one who went to this funeral was this. He said, we went there looking for comfort from God's word, And what we got was a diatribe against the city authorities, which comforted no one's soul with the eternal saving truth of the gospel. And so often we see it in our culture today, preachers, ministers, whatever you want to call them, who look for something else to say to God's people. Moses is a beautiful example of what a preacher is supposed to do. Preach the word. Preach God's message deliver it without alteration, uh, to apply it faithfully to the people of God. And that's the first thing we see. Moses, the preacher, faithfully conveying God's word to Aaron. But there's another thing I want us to see here. Aaron, the sinner, listens and obeys. Remember, Aaron has not always been obedient to the task. Aaron, once upon a time at the persuading, at the beckoning, at the begging, at the prompting, at the call of the Israelites, made a golden calf. But in this case, Aaron obeys God's word fully. It's a beautiful picture of grace, isn't it? That Aaron even is here to do this. Aaron certainly deserved to fall under God's judgment for the role that he had played in the idolatry of the golden calf incident. And here he is, hearing the word of God, from his brother Moses, and obeying fully that word. We're told there in verse 3, he hears the instructions regarding the lampstand, and Moses simply says, and Aaron did so. He lighted the lamps thereof over against the candlestick as the Lord commanded Moses. He did exactly what God told him to do. He obeyed God's word fully. And so we see not only... Moses, the preacher, declaring God's word faithfully. Verses 1 and 2, we see Aaron, the sinner, listening and obeying God's word fully in verse 3. Now, as we move on in this chapter, beginning in verse 5, we find the dedication and cleansing of the Levites. And we note the details of this dedication, and then we'll briefly draw a few practical principles that we can apply to our Christian lives. Notice, first of all, the dedication of God's servants. The dedication of God's servants. If Aaron and his sons were kind of the official ministers, so to speak, in the camp, serving at the altar and in the tabernacle, then Levites were the dedicated helpers. They were to assist the priests in their ministry. They were taken among from among the children of Israel, we're told, a number of times in a number of verses here, and they were substitutes For the firstborn males who belong to the Lord. Look at verse 16. We're going a little ahead of what we plan to uh, be here, but uh, look at verse 16 just for reference. For they were wholly given unto me from among the children of Israel, instead of such as open every womb... Even instead of the firstborn of all children of Israel, have I taken them unto me. For all the firstborn of the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. And I have taken the Levites for all the firstborn of the children of Israel. So the Levites belong to the Lord. says that in verse 14. The Levites are mine, it says. And he gave them to the priests as a special gift. That's what it says down in verse 19. I have given the Levites as a gift. The Levites cared for the tabernacle. They took the structure down each time they would march. And then they would carry it during the march. And then they would erect it again in the new location. And since they were serving God at the tabernacle, the Levites had to be set apart for the Lord. The Levites must be cleansed. The rites and ceremonies of their cleansing were to be performed, number one, by themselves. They were to wash their clothes and not only wash their clothes, but bathe, but to shave all their flesh as the leper was to do when he cleansed. That's according to Leviticus 14 and verse 8. They were to... Cleanse themselves, by themselves, and then by Moses. He was to sprinkle water of purifying upon them which was prepared by divine direction. And then you'll notice a very familiar concept here in that the Levites were presented to God as living sacrifices. Now, does that remind you of some verse in the, the Bible? That's what you and I are urged to do in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, right? The leaders of the tribe, representing the whole nation, put their hands on the Levites as an act of dedication, as though they're saying, you are our substitute, serving God on our behalf. And in turn, the Levites put their hands on, their, on the two young bulls, one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. And it wasn't enough to be purified by washing. It was also necessary that they be cleansed by blood. And the burnt offering spoke of their total dedication to the Lord. Now, once these... Prescribed acts have been completed. The Levites were permitted to begin serving the Lord and assisting the priests in their various ministries in the tabernacle, as you'll see in the later part of this chapter. Uh, in chapter 4, we're told that uh, they would start their work at age 30. Okay. Uh, in chapter 8, verse 24, it says they're going to start at age 25. You say, well, there's a contradiction, right? <laughs> no, I think there was probably a five-year apprenticeship. If they start at 25, they probably uh, worked alongside others to learn what they were supposed to do for five years. It was at, that was their Bible college. Uh, but then it says here in this chapter, at age 50, they were released from the strenuous duties. Sounds good to me. (laughs) 50. That's when you get your AARP card, right? Oh, that's another story. I don't want to get off on that. I'd be one of those preachers that's got to go on to some political thing, right? But I did read an article that said today, half the American pastors are older than 55. In 1992, less than a quarter of the pastors in the United States... 24% were that old. Pastors 65 and older have almost tripled in the last 25 years from 6% to 17%. Meanwhile, pastors 40 and younger have fallen from 33% in 1992 to 15% today. So clearly the Old Testament standard is not being followed, okay? (laughs) Okay. So what do those statistics tell me? Why do I share that? Well, for one thing, there are fewer and fewer young men going into the ministry. And we need to pray for our young men to go into the ministry, to be called of God to go and and be pastors. But that's what the, the statistics are telling us. So in the context of our study here in Numbers 8, We have a dedication and a cleansing of God's servant. So what practical principles can be drawn from this portion of, of Scripture? So let's look at the practical principles of Christian service. We've already seen the parallel principle of a living sacrifice. But notice there are some more principles of consecration. Number one, accepting the will of God. It is God who chooses, equips, and consecrates His people for spiritual service. And we must accept it as His will. Now, as much as I would like to choose every one of these young men here to be preachers someday, it's not my job. Okay? It's God's job to work in their hearts. I'm not putting any pressure on you guys. I'm just saying... I'm not, going to do, I'm not going to say, you all have to be preachers. I wouldn't mind if three or four or five or six of you would be, but that's not my job. It's God's job. And we have to accept that as God's will. The priests were in charge of the tabernacle ministry and the Levites assisted them. Every priest had to come from Aaron's family and no Levite was allowed to take the place of a priest. Levites weren't permitted to serve at the altar. They weren't allowed to wear the priestly garments or even enter the sanctuary. Now, these requirements, these distinctions, in no way disperse uh, the, um, the Levites or minimized the importance of their work. Later, when some of the Levites tried to invade the priesthood, God judged them severely for it. It's not a cause. It was not cause for pride to be a priest nor was it reason for shame to be a Levite. And for all that we have comes from the gracious heart of God. John three twenty-seven says, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. First Corinthians four seven, Paul said, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? You see, there's, no, there's to be no competition in God's service. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 3.8. And so we need to accept the will of God. Now, it may be the will of God that we have some preachers come out of this church. It may not be. It's not my will, it's God's will. And we need to pray that God's will be done. Now, we can encourage, uh, you know, we can pray, but ultimately we have to accept whatever God wills is His will, okay? Secondly, serving the Lord and His people. That's another practical principle I believe we get from this passage. Those who serve must all, first of all serve the Lord. And then his people. That's the same way in a local church. If someone's going to serve as a teacher or an officer or as a pastor or whatever the, the position is, the first priority is to serve God, not the people. God's servants must, make living, must be living sacrifices an offering unto the Lord. Someone might be thinking, well, I'm not a priest, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher, I don't even hold a church office. May I remind you again, this ties in with what Paul pleads in Romans 12, and verse 1, where he says, I beseech the, you, therefore, brethren. Who's he speaking to? Just the preachers, right? No. <laughs> uh, just the Sunday school teacher? No. He says, brethren. Who's the brethren? That includes the cistern. That's everybody. He was talking to the church at Rome. He was addressing everyone. No one was excluded from this plea. And we serve the Lord by serving his people, but orders must come from God. Our service is not to be based on the way we always have done it. Or here's what I think we should do. No, it should be based on thus saith the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4.5 For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Now that's not just for this preacher. That's for everyone in this body of Christ. No matter what task the Lord assigns us, it's important to do His work, and we need to do it cheerfully and carefully. Serving the Lord and His people. Thirdly, We see a practical principle here of protecting the ministry of the Lord. This is the final principle seen here in both the Levites and the priests being obligated to protect the sanctuary of God from intruders. Now look at verse 19 again. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to his sons from among the children of Israel to do the service of the children of Israel in the tabernacle and of the congregation, and to make an atonement for the children of Israel, that there be no plague among the children of Israel, when the children of Israel come nigh unto the sanctuary. The priests and the Levites camped immediately around the tabernacle precincts, and they served as a protective wall against those who wanted to invade the holy area and invite the judgment of God. And so today, even leaders in local churches must be diligent to protect the flock for those who would try to destroy it. Acts 20.28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And that was Paul's admonition to the leaders of the Ephesian church. And he warns them that there are dangerous enemies who would arise from both outside the church and within the congregation. And in Acts 20, verse 29, he says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every night and day with tears. God's servants must ever be on alert and courageous to confront the enemies of God's truth. So, what is our conclusion then? Again, I trust we've, as we briefly consider the Old Testament scripture, we see the lessons here that apply to us in this New Testament church age. Hopefully we will have seen once again how God is interested in the details. These servants of the priests of the tabernacle were carefully separated. That means they were set apart unto the Lord. And this was done through dedication and cleansing. And so are we to be a separated people. As children of God, dedicated and cleansed of those things that would hinder our service for God. This is the will of God. We must accept it. This is the service to the Lord and to his people. This is a ministry that must be protected from that which would bring shame and reproach on the cause of Christ. And I trust, even as we've looked at this briefly this afternoon, that it's our desire to see God's uh, word uplifted, Jesus Christ glorified in our lives and in our church. And I trust that God will bless and, and seeing growth here spiritually in our lives, able to reach others for Christ and do the work that he's called us to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again.